0: God, we thank You for the way You love us. We thank You for the grace and mercy that comes from knowing You. And God, out of all the things that come at Christmas, the the thing that we are so desperate for is peace. In the midst of Mayan calendar predictions and Nostradamus predictions and end-of-the-world scenarios, we just choose peace and choose you we know that you're in control we know that you're in charge and God if nothing else happens today we pray that that we would feel that that we would understand that today that we're not in charge and that you are would you remind us would you speak into our lives would you bring us that peace that we all crave in your son's name amen you know, it's true, God is in charge, um, and if you're here and you, you don't believe um, that, then I want you to know that's okay, and you, you can keep digging, but it's true anyway. <laughs> um, it's like the, the lady I was sitting with on the plane, um, I heard her sharing her faith with somebody. Have you ever heard somebody share their faith, and you think, boy, I wish I had did that more often, you know? But I heard this lady sharing her faith, and this, this lady that was sitting next to her said, I just have such a hard time believing this, and this woman said, do you believe there's a pilot up front? In this plane, and the lady said, "Yeah, I, I, obviously I believe there's a pilot who 's flying the plane, and she said, You know what the, even if you didn 't believe there was a pilot, there 's still a pilot, <laughs> and the truth is at Christmas there's some of us that are hurting really bad, there's some of us that are, are kind of far from God, um, and you might feel like you 're just not sure about this guy, but I want you to know." That he, I believe that he's in charge, and I believe that what we can see throughout Scripture, what we see throughout history, what we, many of us in, our, in this room see in our own personal life is that not only is he in charge, but he has a big plan. That in plan includes some incredible things. Um, we've been studying, like I said, this stir- series called The Story, and it takes us through the Bible um, in chronological order and gives us this great perspective. Um, and today I want to kind of take a pause on it, um, to talk a little bit about the Christmas story. You're going to hear a lot about it. My, my kids have a um, an amazing little array of Christmas toys, um, including uh, the Little People nativity set, which I've actually had up on stage here before. I love the Little People nativity set. It is awesome. You've got to get one. And every year, what I love to see about my kids is that they know just a little bit more about the story this year than they did last year. And we'll tell the story. And um, my, my daughter, London, is very specific, and she'll put the wise men far from the, uh, from the nativity because the truth is, in the real story, the wise men were far from the, when Jesus was born, you know, so she, she wants to be historically accurate, you know, and, and Reese is actually having them fight each other, you know, so um, just different kids in different places, you know, but the little people nativity set, great way to get your kids going with the nativity story, but I want you to know that um, in the midst of all this, that uh, the idea is that you learn something every year. That you get a little bit closer, you get a little, little closer to Jesus every year. If you're not this year, if you're starting to feel like this Christmas feels just like last year, then I'm going to ask you today to just while I'm preaching, um, instead of daydreaming or whatever, um, just pray, God, would you, would you reveal something to me, something new, something, something fresh? And and I want you to know that that happened this year for me with my daughter. Um, Is that the next slide? Have the next slide up there. Okay, well, I'll tell you this first. Then, anybody recognize this guy? Eddie, cousin Eddie. Everybody has one in their family. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. If you haven't seen Christmas Vacation, National Lampoon's Chevy Chase Christmas Vacation, get it today. If you have seen it, get it today anyway. Um, it's just a—it's a Christmas tradition. Um, but the idea is a lot about family, um, and it's a lot about the the people in our in our lives that. At first, we're just kind of frustrated with, and then we remember that that's who we are. And, and the truth is, we all have kind of family members that are uh, that we just see at Christmas, or that we spend more time with at Christmas, and after Christmas, we're like, we remember why we just see them at Christmas, you know? Um, and, and the truth is that Jesus has some of those kinds of people in his extended family um, as well, and it's going to be the point a little bit of uh, of what... Our story is today. But I, I want to, before we get started, I want to give you some fresh perspective on the story of Jesus today um, and the way I got it. My daughter, London, and I'm, I'm really just showing off my daughter this morning, but I'm preaching and you're not, so there you go. Um, I wanted to show you this video clip of London. I'm so proud of her. And I'm proud of her not because she knows this, but because she's internalized it. Um, she understands the story of Jesus. She's learned a little more every year. But I heard some things um, in her Memorization of the second chapter of Luke. My daughter has memorized the story of Jesus in the second chapter of Luke. Um, and I heard, as she talks about it, you're going to hear, I've got her on video and she's nervous. Um, she wouldn't do it live. I wanted to do it on stage and she was too nervous to do that. But um, she knows this entire thing. She gets a little bit nervous on camera. But there are some things that pop out. Um, and my sermon today is based on these things that God kind of revealed to me as my my sweet daughter. Seven years old, um, memorized the story of Jesus, and I want you to hear it this morning.
1: In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy which shall be to all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared to see the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. oh man that's actually just
0: half of what she knows I didn't didn't put it all on there but um, the uh, uh, as she was rehearsing it a couple weeks ago um, she did it for her school program and as she was rehearsing it she was just going around the house saying it in the shower you know, and she's waking up in the morning, and that's the way I'd wake up in the morning, is to her saying, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken. And, and she has said it so much that my four-year-old last night, as we were recording this video, he goes, Dad, watch this. Those days, and he said the first four verses. I could not believe it. he's four years old. And, and what happens is you, you, you get this stuff in your home. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, this is just the truth. When this stuff comes into your home, when the, the story of Jesus comes into your home, even if it's just like this, it changes the house. I'm telling you this morning, if you don't have this in your home, if you don't have a village of little people in your home, if you're if you're kind of parents where you've really kicked the tires on God, you feel far from God, you really haven't raised your kids the way you thought, and your, your house doesn't have the, um, the Jesus feeling at Christmas... If it really is more about presents in your house at Christmas than anything else, then I'm telling you, just start to kind of permeate your house with the story of Jesus. Whether it's Veggie Tales, have you seen the Veggie Tales Christmas? Oh, awesome. Amazing. Gives me tears every time. And, um, and whatever it is, London stood up and, and got up every morning and, and quoted this, and it, it permeated our house. And I began to go through the day and. She was, she was walking down the stairs one day, and I'm dealing with money, and for some reason, many of you are feeling the same way. At Christmas, why is it at Christmas finances are the scariest for those of us who are hurt financially? Yeah, we spend too much on Christmas, that's one thing, but even outside of that, it just seems like the end of the year comes, and all the financial pressures hit, and man, I was sitting with Risha, and we were going, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And how are we going to pay this? And don't forget this, and as... As Risha and I are talking about this, London comes down the stairs doing her quote. And she got to the part where she said, and they were terrified. And the angel of the Lord said, I bring you good news of great joy. She's walking down the steps. That will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. She walked around, and my daughter preached to me in the midst of my junk, in the midst of my fear. The angel said to this big group of people who had missed the Savior, The angel said, Don't miss this. They were terrified in the midst of their terror. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. See, here, here's the thing I, I think that we've missed. We've missed some perspective on who Jesus is. We've missed some perspective on the history and on what um, God wants from us. And as we've, as we've studied this, uh, the, the story of God in this book, it's made me realize that we need to go back and catch some things up. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Um, this is an incredible way to tell a story. But Matthew is a tax collector. Um, or was a tax collector when he met Jesus. Now, if you don't know this, we talked a little bit about this last week, but Matthew um, is a person who uh, was just thought of as one of the worst people that could be in, in the society. Basically, what a tax collector did is they would walk into a house, and they could just make up a number for whatever taxes you owed. And if you didn't pay it, they could have a Roman soldier just lop your head off. And so you basically had to pay whatever. And what Matthew would do is he would take some of the money and put it in his pocket. That's how he got paid. And he just ripped people off for a living. People hated tax collectors. Jesus came to Matthew in the middle of him doing this. He was actually putting money in his pocket, and Jesus said, Hey, Matthew, come follow me. Now all the religious people at the time go, Are you serious? Are you you picking that dude to follow you? And here's what we realized last week. I, I said this last week, and it surprised some of you. Jesus did not say, Hey, Matthew, quit doing your tax collecting thing. Quit being a jerk. Quit being a mess." Quit messing up with your whole life and everybody's life around you. Quit that. Once you got that label off you, once you quit that, then come follow me. No, he said, you bring your stuff. You bring your junk. Right now as you are, come follow me. And it changed Matthew's life. Not only did it change his life, he went and followed Jesus instead of collecting money that way, but it changed his picture of God, of who God is. Up until that point, Matthew was like everybody else um, in his society. And guess what? Things haven't changed much in our society. The way we feel about God is this, that we somehow have to negotiate our sin with God. Have you felt this way? And many of you, you're not going to nod your heads, I know. But it's going to start pounding your heart in a minute because I know you do this. I do this too. We begin to negotiate our sin with God. We go, God, I know I did that thing again and I know I messed up again, but here's the thing. I also wrote a big check last week and I also served and I I did some things over here and I did some things over here. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably do this every day of your life. If you believe there's a God at all, you begin to just kind of negotiate with God. God, I'll do this if you'll do this. And if you do this, then I'll do this. And God, I know I messed up here, but if you could just kind of take care of me here, then I'll do this. And even those of us who are Christians and we know that that's not how God works, it's in our nature and there are Christians in this place today that do this with God. We go, God, you know what? I, I know I've been messing up, and I know I'm not supposed to live like that, but God, if you could just kind of overlook that, I'll do some things over here, and I'll go ahead and do what the preacher says and serve a little bit over here, and I'll get some money, and I'll, I'll do those things. And if you're not careful, you begin to think this way. Up until Matthew met Jesus, that's the way he felt about God. When he met Jesus, everything changed. And he got commissioned by God to tell the story of Jesus. And that's what he does. Now, if you were going to tell the story of Jesus, there might be lots of ways you'd start. But the way Matthew starts is by saying, okay, here are all the people that are related to Jesus. Which seems kind of boring to us, but to the Jews at that point, they believed that Jesus would come through the line of a man named David. If If you're here, raise your hand if you know who David, King David is. Most of us one of the most famous kings in history, not just in Jewish history, not just as an Israelite, but as, um, a- as a human being, one of the most famous kings in history. And it was very important to the Jews because they believed, they read the scriptures, and they believed that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the person that God was sending, would come through the line of David, that he would be related to David. And so what Matthew is starting, he's starting by saying, Jesus is related. Jesus is the great, 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 great grandkid of David. Okay? So Jews are on this page where they're going, Ah, man, I thought we had... I don't really want Jesus to be the Messiah, and I thought this would be a good way out. But it looks like I'm going to have to come up with a different argument because he is in line with David. But in the midst of Matthew saying this, I love this about Matthew. And we heard this last week, too. In the midst of Matthew saying Jesus is related to David... He points out all the cousin Eddies (laughs) that are related to Jesus. All the people that the Jews don't want to think about. All the people that if you were writing your family tree down, you would skip. He points out a prostitute, which we talked about last week. A famous prostitute that's related to Jesus. That's part of the story. And here's the thing with Matthew. It's not an oversight. It's not an accident. It's not even just a part of the story of Jesus. It's the point of the story of Jesus. Everybody expected Jesus to come in as a king, and he comes in in a line of a king, but with a mess of people around him. One of the things London says so well in her story is that there was no room for him in the inn. She didn't do it as well on video, but when she does it live, she, she's just so much inflection, and she said, because there was no room for him in the inn," And it's like Who wouldn't make room for the Savior of the universe? And there's a better question if you're an adult. And that is this. Why wouldn't God have made the room? Why would God send his Savior to a place where he had to be in a barn? And Matthew begins to answer that by saying, God is not who you think he is. He tells a big group of Jews, and here's the thing about the Jews. They believe... To this day, many Orthodox Jews believe that that there are a list of rules that they have to obey, or they will make God mad enough, and they get this feeling from God that he will push them away, and it is not who God is, and Matthew is explaining that. So he talks a little bit, he he has this long list of names, and I'm not going to read them because I'll just embarrass myself, I don't even understand some of them, but he gets down to to verse 5 of Matthew, and he says this, Obed, the father of Jesse... And Jesse, the father of King David. And these are all in the line of Jesus. David, and then he pauses. He's listing all these people, and he pauses, and he says, King David. And all the Jews go, yay, King David. Everybody knows King David is the best king that ever lived. God called King David a man after his heart. He was a a man like God in the way that his heart bled for people and hurt for people. But listen to this. Matthew says, David was the father of Solomon. And then he puts kind of in parentheses here whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And all the Jews go, why did you have to bring that up? If you don't know the story of David, I'm going to tell it to you right now very quickly. Because this is... And you probably thought... It's Christmas. I thought you were going to tell me the story of Jesus. I am. But this is huge. Have you ever heard, heard a Christmas song? And I shook hands with somebody this morning and gave him a big hug and said, Hey, we're singing songs we don't know the words to. It must be Christmas. <laughs> you know, we don't understand any of these words. It must be. We do that at Christmas. And every now and then, we sing, we sing something about the town of David. Every now and then, we hear something, we sing something, we hear it in the scriptures, we hear it in a song, um, a little town of Bethlehem, but then we'll have something about the city of David or the town of David, and there's a good reason for that. David was a man that God chose from, a long, from the time he was a little guy. Basically, a man named Samuel, um, and we'll get l- into this later in the year in our, in our story series, a man named Samuel, God said, I want you to, to, to anoint the new king, I want you to go tell the new king that he's going to be king of Israel. So Samuel goes out to a man named Jesse, who has eight sons. And they are big, strapping, tough, good-looking, kingly, if that's a word, sons. And he goes to them and he says, he gets seven of them in a room, okay? And Jesse says, "I I got eight sons, but seven of them are right here. Um, and I, I, one of them, is he's out there in the field, he's just a little guy, and, and he's, he's not worth anything. These guys are big, strapping, strong, articulate, kingly kind of guys. So Samuel goes to the first one, the firstborn, big, strapping, handsome guy. And he's like, no, this is not, this, I'm not feeling it, this is not who God's called. So go to the second son, so he went to the second son, no, 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 no. second birth order. He's learned from the first. This could be perfect. Nope. Third in birth order. Well, he's got two to learn from. He's still strong, very articulate, very Nope, this is not him. Samuel goes through seven of Jesse's sons, all seven of them. And Jesse begins to go, Oh, well, maybe you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong house. Samuel says, No. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse goes, Well, I got this kid named David. He's a little guy. He's just a you know, he's kind of the runt of the family. He's out tending sheep right now. He's just little. Samuel goes Go get him. So they bring David in. And, man, I wish I could create a movie of this. I'm a filmmaker. That's what I do for a living. And I would love to be able to do this. I would love to be able to, to kind of create a film with this. Because da- I see David coming in smelling like sheep because he's been with the sheep all night. He's the run of the litter. The, the big guys are kind of, his brothers are kind of roughing his hair as he comes by and pushing him and teasing him, you know. And he comes in and he's just a little guy. And he goes, Dad, what do you want? What do you want? You know, and he comes in. He's sweating. He's, he's been just with the sheep. And his dad, Jesse, says, this guy wants to talk to you. He's from God, and he believes that you might be the next king of Israel. And when Samuel gets close to David, this little guy, he begins to talk to him, and, and God makes it clear that this is the next king of Israel. And I, I just love these stories that God tells. Because God always chooses the one that nobody thinks he would choose. Out of Eight kids. This is the last one you would choose. And God chooses him. Next slide. Second cha- Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. Samuel says some things, and I want you to hear this this morning. Don't go to sleep. I want you to hear this. This is huge. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. So this is Samuel talking to David with the voice of God, basically saying, David, I'm talking to you from God. Can you imagine being, I don't know, 12, 13 years old, probably, David? And a prophet comes and says, buddy, you're going to be the next king. He goes, I mean, his voice hasn't even changed. Okay, you know. I mean, he's just a little guy. And he says, um, Almighty, the Almighty says, I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to the, be the ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from you before now, before you. Now, I will make your name great, like the names of... Of the greatest men of the earth. I want to pause there for a second. This was written 3,000 years ago. This story takes place 3,000 years ago. When I said, how many of you know King David this morning? Most of your hands went up. This came true. 13-year-old boy was told 3,000 years ago that he would be a king. And not only would he be a king, but that everyone would know who he is. Do you know that today, in, in the world, there are the name Jesus and the name David as we read this piece of scripture, is being read in over 2,000 languages. Did you know that? There are billions of Christians. I said billions, not millions. Billions of Christians on the earth now. One third of the earth's population celebrates Jesus Christ. And most of them know the name David. It's an amazing story. This, can't, this was a promise that God made a 13-year-old. And God keeps his promises. Look at this. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When he says establish the house, what he means is you're going to have a long line of family members, have a long line of people who are well-known and who, have, who are leaders. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offsprings to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. Basically, as David gets older in this, in this story and David becomes a king, Um, He does become king of Israel, and he just, um, he makes a lot of mistakes. In the midst of his mistakes, and I don't mean just little mistakes. I'm going to tell you in a minute what I mean. He makes some of the most enormous mistakes in leadership history. Some sin, some messed up stuff, and in the midst of it, God says, this is a man after my own heart. Do you understand the gravity of this? It's an amazing thing that God chooses a man who will be so flawed and makes this promise to him. One day, David looks out this window, and he's got all this stuff. He's a king, and he's just got stuff all around him. He looks out his window, and he looks at the place where they worship God, which is a tent, basically. It's a tabernacle. They called it a a tabernacle, but it's a tent, and it's a place where they have what they called the Ark of the Covenant. If you've seen Indiana Jones, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know what the Ark of the Covenant is. Um, The Ark of the Covenant is a place where they believe God's presence kind of dwelled. They had some important relics in there. It was very important to God, and that's where... God basically dwelled at that point. So King David looks out his window and he says, I want to build God a, a church, a big house. I want to build God a temple so that he can have what I've got. He can, and, and we don't have this temporary tent for him. And basically later on God says, no, you're, you're not going to build the temple. We're going to do that, but your son will, Solomon. And we know that, that Solomon went on and built Solomon's temple, this big Huge temple um, to God, and that's what he says here. I will be his father. Here he says, verse 13. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Now check this out. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with the rod of men because that's what fathers do. That's what good fathers do. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, who I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. He makes a promise to King David, at this little tiny boy. And then as we go through, King David makes a mistake. And if you, if you've heard, if you know the story of David, you know why Matthew mentioned Uriah. He's, Matthew said that, uh, that, that King David had a wife who belonged to another man, and it's very true. One day, the, the, David's uh, men, the battle was, was far from him, and uh, he looks out of his window, and there taking a bath is a woman named Bathsheba. And you've probably heard this story, even if you don't know the Bible. David looks out and he says, Who is that? And one of David's servants says, Well, that's Uriah's wife. Uriah is a, is a major part of your army that's fighting for you right now. And so David begins to think, So his, her husband's not home? No. So he goes and he gets Bathsheba, and you know a lot of the story, and if you don't know the story, you can probably figure it out. Some things happen, They, they lay with each other, and she becomes pregnant, and David is in a mess. So he calls Uriah from the field. He calls him from the field of battle. Now, if you're at this point in history especially, if you're in, the, in battle and your men are in battle, at this point in history especially, you want to be with them. You don't want to be called away. But when the king calls, you've got to come. So Uriah comes to the palace to see David. He's like, okay, king, what do you need? i got to get back out there. My guys are... And King David says, no, I, I'm proud of you. I think you're doing a great job. I want you to stick around for a while. I want you to go home, be with your wife for a couple days. Are you putting two and two together here? So David can cover his tracks, you know what I'm saying? So he, he, he says, okay, Uriah's like, oh, well, I, I, I don't know. So David goes, just trust me, go home, be with your wife. So here's what Uriah does. Instead of going home, he sleeps outside of David's door. And he says, i, I got to get back to battle. I can't be home with my wife when my men are fighting and can't be home with theirs. A good leader, isn't he? Now, when you go, God, hey, why don't you have that guy be king? <laughs> Because he seems like he has a lot more character. But, so David wakes up the next morning and goes, oh, uh did you have a good night with your wife? And Uriah goes, I slept right here. David's like, Oh, are you kidding me? So he says, I'll tell you what, let's, let's try it again. You need another night with your wife. I insist as your king. So then he gets him drunk. David gets Uriah just drunk, completely drunk, and says, Go home and be with your wife. Uriah stays another night in front of King David's door. And when David wakes up in the morning... He sends Uriah back out to battle. Problem isn't fixed. David's a mess. And here's what happens, and this is a whole other sermon, but what we see is that one sin adds to another and makes another and makes another. You know this. Your heads are nodding. You've seen it. You're going, yeah, my husband or my kids, but it's you too, okay? Whatever sin you're in right now that you think is only affecting you, it will affect somebody else at some point. That's the way it works. And it just gets worse. And this is what happened for David. He, he messes up with Bathsheba. He gets her pregnant. He sends out for Uriah. Uriah won't comply with the plan. And so David does the unthinkable. He sends a note with Uriah back out to battle. Seals it up. And he sends the note to Uriah's commander. And he says, right in the middle of the battle, when things get hard, send Uriah to the front of the line and then pull back. Uriah, and this is like a movie. Uriah ends up delivering his own death sentence to his commander. He's not allowed to read it. He gives it to his commander. And Uriah is killed. Merry Christmas. That's the story of David. That's the story of David. The way Matthew starts the whole thing is that David is the best that ever lived. David, other than Jesus, is what we think of as one of the best men that ever lived. He's made some mistakes, yeah. And He just screwed everything up, and God made a promise to him. Next slide. Check this out. Matthew begins to share the good news. Now, many of you have heard the the phrase good news a lot, and in fact, I almost didn't use it today because it becomes one of those religious phrases that we forget, but the truth is I tried to come up with other words, and it is the right phrase. We've just used it in the wrong way because the good news that we talked about is, is just a baby, you know? And what I realized last night is, as London was doing this thing, that afterwards my four-year-old thought that Jesus was always a baby, and that the good news and that the what we celebrate is a little baby in a manger. And maybe you forgot—that's not the whole story. In fact, there are lots of babies, and there are lots of mangers. That's not the whole story. The good news Matthew begins to share is that this God has a new promise. And I love this. He wants to start us by saying, King David was made a promise by God that he would take care of him. And you would think that God would have gone, hey man, the rules have changed. You have messed up big. And God would go, you know what, I'm going to pull that promise away. But here's, here's the truth about God. Wake up. Here's the truth about God. He keeps his promises. And Matthew wants to start this whole story by saying, God keeps his promises. Some of you are here today, and you're going, yeah, John, you don't know how bad. I, do I need to tell you the story of David again? I'll give you some details if you want it. I, I'm telling you. Some of you are going, yeah, God keeps his promises, but you don't know where I've been. I want you to know this morning that God keeps his promises. And Matthew says this. Matthew says not only does God keep his promises, but then for the, for the rest of the book of Matthew, he says God is making a new promise. <laughs> And if, you've, if you listen to what London said this morning, London preached to you before I got up here. If you listen to what London said this morning, what she said was, I bring you good no- news of great joy that will be for all people. It's a new promise from God, and here's the promise. Don't miss this. Here's the promise of Christmas. Here's the promise that Jesus meant when he, sat, when he laid in that cradle. Here's the promise. You don't have to negotiate your sin with me anymore stop stop negotiating your sin here's the promise God made if you will trust me I will forgive your sins once and for all see now here's the way we do this as Christians we get to to Christmas and we start telling the good news and here's what I believe our good news isn't good enough Because we begin to to treat God just the way the the Israelites did, just the way the Jews did in Matthew's time. We begin to say, all right, God, we're going to negotiate. We're we're a mess over here, but we're going to negotiate this thing with you. And if you just kind of take care of this, then then I'll do this for you. And and you might be sitting there today going, you know what, John, that sounds an awful uh, one-sided, you know, like this is the thing from God and that's just too good to be true. If you're feeling that way this morning, you might be getting it. You may just be getting the real good news. But see, the thing is, many of us think that God... Gives with conditions. But the good news is better than that. It is. It's unconditional. I, I realized as a father, I do this all the time, and I've been really working on this. But my four year old loves stuffed animals. He loves toys. He loves stuffed animals. I've never seen a kid that loves stuffed animals. He just loves animals, and he makes up names for them, and it's just an amazing thing how much he loves these animals. And they're great leverage. That's why I love them. If I want him to behave, if I want him to behave, if I want him to be good for a specific event or do something, I can say, hey, Reese, you better be good tonight or I'll be taking Ikea puppy away. He's got a puppy that we got at Ikea in Cincinnati, and so he calls it Ikea puppy. I'll take Ikea puppy away. <gasps> <gasps> okay, I'll be good, Dad. Or two days later, buddy, you better be good or I'll take Florida puppy away. Yeah, he's real creative with his names. You got that puppy in Florida. Oh, <gasps> Dad. See, then the, there's this thing that happens at Christmas this year where... We started talking about Christmas, and I was getting excited about it. And I said, Hey, um, our Christmas is tonight. Um, and I said, Hey, what are we doing Sunday night? Anybody know? And London goes, We're opening presents. Nana Pop, Papa will be here. We're going to have Christmas. And Reese got this real somber look on his face. I'm like, Buddy, are you excited about Christmas? And he goes, Dad, do I have to be good? <laughs> and I realized that my son is starting to associate his behavior what I give him, and how much I love him. Just a little bit. And this panic set off in me that I am treating my son the way I feel about God. Sometimes I feel about God that it can't be true, right? That it can't be true. Now, I know there are consequences for my sin on earth that there are things that happen and there are punishment for my sin you heard what god said i will punish for sin he does but the promise of eternity the promise of jesus the promise of salvation does not go away and as a human being my tendency is to go how can that be true you know the the old adage if it sounds too good to be true it probably is that's what's killed us with this and i begin to pass that on to my son so i said reese even if you're bad all day long, you get those presents. And there's this thing that showed up in him, and it wasn't, well, good, then I'm going to be bad all day long. There's this thing where he looked at me with the thought that on, on Sunday, on Christmas for me, I can't lose that promise. I can't lose it. And his passion. His love, his, everything changes immediately. Some of you today are going, God, I, I'll, I'll take the heaven thing and, and I'll make sure that I'm good. I'll make sure, I, I'll do better. You know, I'll try to do better. And God's going, you can't be good enough to gain it. The good news that Matthew shares is that God always keeps his promises and that he has a new promise. That this Jesus will come once and for all. This next slide I want you to remember today, as long, one more there, as long as you're trying to negotiate your sin with God, you will not have the peace of Christmas. What I'm praying for you, I'm praying for all of you, and I prayed it on the way up here, praying it for my kids and my family, is for peace. Peace jesus has not promised god did not promise that life would be easy in fact he promised it would be hard you will have trouble that's what jesus said thanks a lot i'll go find another religion that promises me something else that's what a lot of people did because other religions were saying if you come to me if you come in our religion then what we'll do is you'll never have a problem again and people are flocking over there and in two weeks they're like hey what happened to this thing my bills are still due and Jesus says, in this life you will have problems. In fact, he tells Christians every now and then, when he see, or these people who are following him, they weren't called Christians at that point, but they're people who are following him, if you're going to follow me, your life will probably be harder than the rest. I, I, that's quite a promise. But he says this, when you trust me, you will have a peace that passes all understanding. Many of you have never felt that. Some of you today are Christians in this place. You've been celebrating this Jesus. You've been saying Jesus is the reason for the season, not knowing what it means, for years. And you have never felt the peace that passes all understanding. When I laid my son down last night, four years old, London had just finished this whole memorizing of the... And Reese's head is spinning around and he's had too many cookies and he's just... And I lay him down and I thought, this is a kid who... Early in his life is gonna need the peace that comes with knowing Jesus. And I prayed this, God, how can I, how can I impart that peace to my son? And as I laid down in my bed and I started working on this, I thought, I can't. If I don't have it, if I don't have that peace, if I don't continually strive for that peace that passes on understanding, I can't pass it on. All I can do is point to it and say, I hope you do better than I did. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to ask you this morning, this Christmas, this Christmas, in the midst of the junk, in the midst of all the stuff, would you get the real good news, the real good news of Jesus? And that is once and for all that God keeps his promises. And his promise is that that little baby didn't stay a baby. He grew up. He died on a cross that wasn't fair, doesn't make sense to us. It's still a mystery. There are 2,000 uh, languages celebrating it today all over our world. And God says this, I'll never take that promise away if you trust me. The band can come up this morning. I, I, that's what I want for you for Christmas. I told you I couldn't preach a short sermon, so couldn't give you that Christmas present. But I can tell you this, that peace that you are longing for, that peace that you have always wanted in your life, that peace that you thought the new four-wheel drive truck would get you, all it took was one ding in the Kroger parking lot, and and that went away. That big screen TV that you thought would bring you peace, all it took was one knock off a table. I'm telling you, that peace is available. It's the good news. And if you're celebrating Christmas. Just like any other day, you're giving gifts and your good news is a baby who expects you to be good, to gain what he's promised. Your good news isn't good enough. Now here's what happens, and here's what happened to my son. He woke up this morning. I love this little guy. He woke up this morning and he said, dad, I get my presents today, right? And I said, yep. And he said, even if I'm not good, There's this sense in us that we go, well, how can that be fair? Because, man, if God's going to give me this promise no matter what, I'll just go live however I want. But there's something that happens when you really get it, when you really understand what God has promised. It happened to my son this morning. He said, Dad, I'm going to be good all day long. When you realize you're free, when you realize that there's a peace, there is this peace that comes with it that The Bible says you can't explain. You can't talk about it. Now, when I get a big screen TV, I can talk about it. I can say, man, you should see this thing. It's awesome. But this peace that comes from Jesus, you can't even describe. It makes it really frustrating for a preacher. But I'm going to tell you this morning, if you trust him, it's the promise of God. Today, don't do another Christmas without the peace of Jesus, the good news is better than that. Would you stand up, and sing with us this morning?